Well, good morning. This morning, our scripture, contrary to what um, the bulletin says, is from Luke's Gospel, chapter 8. Luke's Gospel, chapter 8, verses 26 to 39. Um, Not from Kings, 1 Kings, which is a great, great story in its own right. Uh, But we're not going to be reading about Elijah descending into a depression this morning. We're going to instead look at uh, a story from Luke's gospel. Uh, If you receive the the church's um, sermon sneak peek, uh, you would have seen to read the entirety of of Luke chapter 8 before you came this morning. And you still have time to do that. Uh, Not now, but I mean later, you'll get it. Uh, but if you would take, a, take some time and look at the whole gospel in its entirety to see where this story fits in it, because we oftentimes, as we read Scripture, look at things in isolation, picked apart from um, the rest of the story. And Luke chapter 8 is a wonderful story where it all fits together in a beautiful way. Um, so this morning what we're going to do is we're going to be talking about... Um, uh, evangelism, the word that everybody just loves in the church. Say it. See, that's not hard, is it? Everybody's scared to death of evangelism. Everybody is so petrified. What is evangelism? I can't be an evangelist. I don't want to be one of them. No, I'm not asking you to be. I'm not one of them. Um, and we know who they are. Um, evangelism is what we're going to look at this morning, and we're going to do it by way of our lesson this morning is going to be based really on a a Bible study. We're going to kind of do a Bible study of Luke chapter 8. So let us jump right into it. Jesus uh, in the story is on the move. He's been stirring things up as he's going along. He's been teaching healing, casting out demons. He's been traveling all over Galilee and Judea. Uh, And today we find Jesus and the disciples uh, they, have, they have ended up on a boat ride, and they've crossed the Sea of Galilee, and they are in what is today we would call the Golan Heights. So if you take your, if you take your left hand and make a circle like that, and, and you're looking at it, there's the Sea of Galilee, and as you're looking at the Sea of Galilee, where your index finger and your thumb come together, that's where Jesus landed on the boat. And that's what's known as the Golan Heights in modern Israel. Um, On the other side of that, over here, would be Tiberias. Capernaum would be up here. Uh, Nazareth, where Jesus is born, is up here. And Jerusalem is down over here. So with that in mind, listen to the word of the Lord. Luke chapter 8, beginning with verse 26. Then they, Jesus and the disciples, arrived at the country of the Gerasenes, which is opposite Galilee. And as Jesus stepped out on land, a man of the city who had demons met him. For a long time he had worn no clothes. He did not live in a house, but in the tombs. When he saw Jesus, he fell down before him and shouted at the top of his voice, What have you to do with me, Jesus, Son of the Most High God? I beg you, do not torment me. 
For Jesus had commanded the unclean spirit to come out of the man. Now, parenthetically, many times it had seized this man. He was kept under guard and kept bound with chains and shackles. But he would break those bonds and be driven by the demons out into the wilds. So then Jesus asked the man, what is your name? And the man said, Legion. For many demons had entered him, and they begged Jesus not to order them back into the abyss. Now there on the hillside, a large herd of swine was feeding, and the demons begged Jesus to let, him, let them enter these. And so Jesus gave them permission. And the demons came out of the man and entered the swine, and the herd rushed down the steep bank into the lake and was drowned. Now when the swine herds saw what had happened, they ran off and told in the city and in the country what had happened. And then the people came out to see what had happened. And when they came to see Jesus, they found the man from whom the demons had gone, sitting at Jesus' feet, clothed in his right mind. And you know what? They were afraid. Those who had seen it told them how the one who had been possessed by demons had been healed. And then all of the people surrounding the country of the Gerasenes asked Jesus to leave. For they were seized with fear. So Jesus got into the boat and he returned. And the man from whom the demons had gone begged that he might be with Jesus. But Jesus sent him away saying, return to your home and declare how much God has done for you. So the man went away, proclaiming throughout the city how much Jesus had done for him. My friends, this is the word of the Lord. Now, our story in Luke is one of the longest single stories in the gospel, this story about the Gerasene demoniac. In it, Jesus uh, goes to a place that no good understanding uh, Gen uh, Jewish man would ever go. He went to Gentile territory. Um, in the King James Version, uh, verse 26 is translated, Jesus went into the Gerasenes, which is over and against Galilee. How does that paint the picture for you? Jesus entered to the place that was over and against Galilee. Galilee. And the point is made. This spiritually, culturally polluted Gentile territory is where Jesus and the disciples went. For a good upstanding Jew, there would be no need to go there unless you had a really good reason. So it gets me to asking why? Why would Jesus go there to begin with? And the placement of the story in Luke's chapter 8 gives the reason as to the why. You see, in Luke chapter 8, as we take a 10,000-foot view of it, it begins with Jesus telling a parable, a story, about a farmer who goes out to sow. Perhaps you've heard of the story. A farmer goes out to sow and threw some seeds. Some seed fell on the path, but it quickly got trampled down. 
The farmer also sowed seed that ended up on the rocks. But the ones that landed on the rocks, they couldn't develop a root system, so they withered up and died. And then the farmer continued to sow seed, and some of the seed went into the, the thorn bushes, the brambles. But because of the thickness of the thorns, it choked out the seed's growth, and they died. And then Jesus tells the story how some of the seed landed on good soil, and it produced a hundredfold. Now, Jesus in the story in, in Luke 8 has been liberally sowing, throwing out the seed of the gospel. Throwing it around liberally. But the people's response thus far has been to trample on it. Has, the people's response has been such that they don't let the spiritual roots grow deep and they move on and forget it. Or the religious officials and powers that be of the day tried to choke the message of Jesus out because Jesus' message was one that was countercultural, counter the way things are typically done. And it's at this point in the story, Jesus takes a boat ride. Nothing, we have to remember, nothing is as scary to the ancients as the water. It's scary as heck for me to go out there. I can't see below my feet. I don't know what's down there. I don't want anything nibbling. I don't care if it's a little fish. Water, the ocean, it gives me the creeps. Even the new river. What's down there? We see for the ancients, the ocean, the watery abyss is where the monsters lurked. It was a place that was uncontrollable. It was chaos. And if you go back to Genesis, when the earth was created, when the universe was created, the earth was formless and void, and the chaos was over the deep, and it only it required the Spirit of God to bring order to the chaos. And so we hear Jesus on the boat. He falls asleep as he's making his way to the garrisons. And there a storm blows up, begins to swamp the boat. And the disciples, Jesus, asleep at the wheel, begin shaking him, say, get up. And Jesus stands up and he calms the wind, he calms the rain, and he stills the storm. And he does what no person can do. He does what the Spirit did at creation. He brought stillness. He brought peace. The disciples were in awe because the disciples knew only God could do this. They say even the wind and the sea obey him. Soon thereafter, Jesus and the disciples in the calmer seas land at the Gerasenes on the far side of the Sea of Galilee, and he steps out into another country, and Luke goes out of the way to describe this new country in the most unappealing way. The great irony, however, in the story is that this unexpected place 
is exactly where the seed of the sower lands and grows. And we fail to see that. You see, Jesus and the others land not in a lovely ship terminal, but they land at a place where the Chamber of Commerce would rather you not see. It drops you off at a place it doesn't want you to experience as you come to town. You see, the boat landed in the cemetery. It landed amongst the tombs. And for people of those days, you did not hang around the tombs. The tombs were dirty places. The tombs were places that you only went to if you absolutely had to go. The first stop on an itinerary to a new foreign place would not be, hey, let's go to the cemetery. But that's what happens here. You want to stay away from the dead people, but what does Jesus do? He lands at the cemetery. Not only that, the community's welcoming committee, not a delegation of the likes of the Fort Lauderdale government, you know, like there's Ben Sorensen smiling with his bad socks, and and there's Mayor Trentellis, and hey, welcome to Fort Lauderdale. Isn't this a beautiful place? And you don't have the Las Olas Business Association down there, you know, whining and dining, you come eat here, come eat there. No, you don't have that. What you have is they are men with the town's naked, homeless, dirty, unkempt, and out-of-control wild man who spits and yells and attacks people. I've discovered that when I go for walks down Andrews Avenue. This was Jesus' welcoming committee. He is met by a guy that has hit as far as rock bottom a person can get, and he is possessed by a legion of demons and evil spirits. And then here comes the kicker of the story. It's this crazy guy, the town's outcast, this community of demons. He's the one who rightly identifies Jesus for who Jesus is. Whereas Jesus' members of his own establishment, his own people, the Jews, do not acknowledge who he is. It took the demon in a foreign country to say, you are the Son of God, the Most High. They got it immediately. The people that should have gotten it didn't. This anti-Jesus immediately recognized the Son of God in their midst and demand, and Jesus then demands, hey, Legion, leave that poor guy alone, get out of him. And they, demons, they plead with Jesus, don't send us back into the watery abyss. Don't send us back to the chaos waters. You see, the demons had the fear of the deep and of the abyss just as much as the disciples did. The demons had a fear of going back to those watery places. So Jesus hears them. He says, fine. He doesn't send them into the watery abyss. He instead sends them into a herd of pigs. Unfortunately, pigs being pigs, they ran down the bank and immediately drowned in the water, killing all the demons as well as the pigs. 
Now, think about that. The scene slows down some more. Now it's just Jesus, the disciples, and the healed man sitting calmly in his right mind. Pigs are down there floating. But here it is now. The scene is Jesus, the man, and the disciples just going. Can you think of what was going on in his mind, the man's mind? Have you ever tried to sit there yourself and imagine, okay, someone just gave me something to put on to wear. Um, I'm not naked anymore. What did I just go through? What is the story I just experienced? What just happened to me? What was he thinking? What might have he been understanding at that moment? But the healed man's moment only lasts briefly. Because soon this crowd of pig herders and farmers and city folk come up and they get all upset and in a bind over Jesus. Because this Jesus, this economic killjoy, has just ruined the people's business. So they want him to get out of there. Never mind the miracle that has just been wrought. Never mind the man that everybody knew they used to shackle him up. Never mind the fact that he's sitting there peacefully in his right mind. This ill, naked, homeless guy is now healed and whole and is able to rejoin the community again. Never mind all that. Jesus has disrupted their way of life. And the people wanted him to immediately leave. Nothing else mattered. So Jesus obliges. Now, beloved, it's at this point in our story that Luke's story becomes your story, my story, this church's story. My friends, The healed man begs to go with Jesus in the boat. He begs Jesus, I want to go with you, Jesus. I, I, I want to go and I want to continue hanging around with you, Jesus, because of what you've done for me, Jesus. You brought me back to health. And, 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 and what does Jesus say to him? No. You can't come with me. Jesus says, I have work to do and to accomplish. You have work to do and accomplish. Jesus gives this healed man an evangelistic mandate and marching orders. Jesus says, no, you can't go with me. You can't get in the boat with me. I love you. I care for you. But I've got something for you to do. I want you to go home and declare how much God has done for you. Go back to the people you know, your people, the people who know you, and let them see how God has cared for even you, the pariah of this community, 
who was no good for anybody, but were just perfect for the heart of God. Don't come with me, go home. You see, friends, the story becomes our story because we learn that each of us has a story where we have been, have been encountered and healed and restored to relationship with God. We, too, want to get in the boat and sail off with Jesus and feel great all the time. We, too, have had this established, reestablished relationship with God, with our sense of self, with our community again. And we want to celebrate that. We want to go hang out with Jesus in the boat. But God is not asking us to. God is not asking us to leave our foreign country and to go to a, some foreign street corner and convert people to follow Christ. Far from it. Remember the lesson from the healed man in Scripture. He was to go back home to the people he knows. He told them simply what God had done for him. He was not to convert. He was not to conjole. He was not to convince. He was simply to go share with others what God had done for him. Personally and period. He was not to go and tell them what Jesus could do for them. He just went and told what Jesus has done for himself. That's it. God would do the rest. Friends, why do we, as we read this story, why do we think evangelism is so hard? Why do we see it as a dirty word, as something those people do? Whoever those people are, I'm one of those people. I'm an evangelist. I'm not ashamed of that fact. I love Jesus, and I tell the story of Jesus. But like the, blind, like the healed man, I don't beat people into the kingdom of God. I don't shame them into the kingdom of God. I love them into the kingdom of God and tell them what God has done for me. I don't let God do the rest. That's all God is asking us to do. That's what evangelism is, my friends is to tell our story of what God has done for us to people we are familiar with in our everyday lives here in Broward County. It's to let the tone and the tenor of our transformed life in Jesus show others that we are a different type of human being because of our encounter with Jesus. We don't have to do the convincing. We don't have to do the rebuking. We don't have to do the shaming. We just be ourselves with Jesus. That's it. Why is that hard? Why isn't this church? No, why isn't any church in this town, this state or country, why aren't we bursting at the seams, clamoring with people who want to praise God with their story? I don't get it. We have all had that story. Why aren't we packed to the gills, churches? Well, I suppose it could be one of two things. First, we don't know our personal story of healing and restoration to God in Christ. 
Or second, perhaps we know of our life-transforming story in Jesus, but we remain in the tombs and don't go back into home and share it. People are for some reason not seeing in you, in me, in our churches that dot this country a winsome, refreshing, healing presence of lives transformed by Jesus. They are experiencing shame, guilt, judgment. The late Archbishop Oscar Romero preached some 20-something years ago. He said, God God's best microphone is Christ. And Christ's best microphone is the church. And the church is all of you. He goes on to say, let each one of you in your own job, in your own vocation, married or single, whether a priest, an elder, or deacon, high school or university student, a day laborer, a wage earner, or a businesswoman, each one of you in your own place live with faith intensely and feel that in your surroundings, you are the true microphone of our Lord. What's your story? Have you shared it? My friends, I pray that this church, that each one of us will be the microphone that just shares the love of God demonstrated in our life to those we encounter right outside these doors. Evangelism isn't rocket science. It's pretty simple. Just tell the story. Pray with me. Lord our God, help us to identify the story of the Spirit in our life. We'd ask, Holy Spirit, that you would come and use us. Help us to speak of what you have done for each of us. Lord, give us a spirit of humility as we just share that we don't convert, convict, conjole. We leave that to you. But Lord, give us the courage just to share what Jesus has done with our words and most importantly, with the tone and tenor of our life. And all of God's people said, amen. Amen.